0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Talks with Tea. Uh, Today, uh, I have a super special guest, uh, Rami Asaf, who's the founder and CEO of Zbuni. Um, Over the course of his career, he's done everything from working in a more corporate environment to VC to a couple of not-so-successful startup, uh, eventually leading him to a very successful startup at Zbuni. Uh, Rami is also not just a fellow entrepreneur. He's a childhood friend. We were just talking that I've probably known you since I was born. I think you're older, a year older. I just look older. I think we're the same. Yeah, uh, definitely you're older. <laughs> um, and so we've been childhood friends now. Uh, I think our, my mom and your dad are...
1: I think you might be my cousin.
0: Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. like And the way Arabs talk about cousins, where everyone's their cousin.
1: I think there was like some uh, relationship in the village where our grandparents uh, grew up. Yeah.
0: Some like Syrian blood running. Exactly, yeah. Um, And so we grew up together in Orange County. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Far away from Damascus. Pretty far from, about as far as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then somehow we both ended up. In Dubai, Well, you were a pioneer of that. Fair. Yeah, we've been, my family's been here since 92. So when we left the US, we moved to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, you were like the early adopter of moving to UAE. What is your recollection of the first startup or company you began? So it's all quite serendipitous.
1: You know, after I did graduate, I started working on some different projects. like I would just always have this social network of people because I was attracted to those types of people who were kind of self-made. And so in that network, I would meet people and they'd have projects and I'd get involved and kind of get my hand in in certain things. So I tried something related to tagging uh, like elderly dementia patients with RFID tags. Okay, because they often escape. Their uh, the like sounds uh, like only uh, a U.S. problem. <laughs> it's a pretty <laughs> niche problem. Yeah, but it's a big problem. Yeah. Like you have these people who are 80, 90 years old, and they can escape through a back door of a facility, and like they, you can't find them for three, four days.
0: Yeah, and they so, don't know where they are. And
1: they don't know where they are. Oh. And so, why not RFID tag them? And if they leave through a certain place, you it sends an alarm. It's like you know, it's not that novel of an yeah. idea. They probably do it now. It's probably like normalized now, but that was probably the first project I tried doing. And then it didn't really work as I had anticipated. So I was like, I think I need to get a real job for a little bit. So I, I went into Craigslist and I started looking and I found this company that had an interesting offer and it was like paying high commissions, equipment leasing. And that was in Long Beach, California so I called the job poster and when I called, I spoke to someone and then I realized like, wait a minute, I think I know the owner of this company. And so when I showed up, they were like, Oh yeah, you're awesome. You, of course you can have a job. So I just took a desk. It wasn't like a very arduous uh, interview process. Yeah. It was just like a co- high commission sales job. Yeah. And probably on day three, the owner who was, who was pretty young. He's like, Hey, come, by my office you know let's have a chat so we're chatting and he's like oh you have entrepreneurial you know aspirations Uh, yeah i do he's like okay listen i have another project i'm working on the side hustle the side hustle you might be good better suited for that because i need some help yeah which was a startup which was a first which was an actual tech startup Mm. and i got involved with that And he's like, listen, I can grant you equity and do whatever and let's let's give it a go. And so I sat there and we went through the motions of doing the startup and signing up customers. And what that business was, was a classified for uh, businesses for sale.
0: Okay.
1: Okay, which is, it's like a marketplace of businesses for sale.
0: This is in like the early 2000s? This is in 2005, 2006. Okay, so before marketplaces yeah, it was probably eBay was like the only marketplace right. alive
1: so it was pretty novel that, I mean there was classifieds there was yeah. something called BizBen and BizBuySell and all these things like it's mm. for these business brokers and again back to the immigrant families when they show up they need to find out which gas stations are for sale Yeah. so they need to go to a website to find them so pretty
0: advanced immigrants to know to use the internet to use the internet yeah
1: so that didn't work but what did work was I got pretty deeply involved in like understanding digital marketing and understanding SEM and SEO and landing pages and affiliate marketing. And all of that skill set started becoming interesting to me, and I started to hone that. Then in 2009, so well, we had set up then uh, an agency doing affiliate marketing, and we got pretty good with that. Okay. But no matter how good you are at that, there's like a thousand people better than you Mm. at doing that. Mm. So for example, dish like the satellite company, they would be running an offer. And if you sign up, you know, you could get, uh, to provide a lead for someone who wants dish satellite service at home, Mm. just to provide that lead, they'd pay, you know, $80 or something. So if I go build a landing page and attract, end customers who want it and just, just show up. In, just yeah. show interest in that yeah. you would sell that as a lead so every time we'd like finish designing our landing page and publishing it there would be like 80 other landing pages
0: already published barrier to entry super low
1: and so we were good at what we were doing but it was just too too much too competitive then by chance you know the whole thing like the roommates brothers cousins or whatever like i met the ceo of uh, the founder and CEO of Zawia. Okay. And he was like, he had come to California for a conference. And he's like, hey, what do you guys do? You know, and we're like, oh, we work in this and digital. He's like, oh, you know, in his mind, he's like, oh, that's great because we need people like that back in Dubai, back at HQ. Would you be interested if, you know, we had an opportunity?
0: And I was like, yeah, why not? So you're part of the
1: Zawia mafia? I became part of the Zawia mafia. What employee... Were you? Uh, I was pretty late. Like, they started 2001. Okay. So it was, I think, 2001. Uh, and it was, I didn't know what the company was, but I joined 2009. Okay. And then the company exited to Thomson Reuters 2011. And that was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I can be part of a, one of these journeys of success. Yeah. Can we do that again? Or could we, was that a coincidence? And then you kind of question yourself like, was this a fluke or did I actually impact? Did I cause something? Did I make the decisions? What was your role there? My role was marketplace develop. They like created a role. Okay. Basically the the website was getting like a million visitors a month. And it would monetize through. Subscribers paying—I forgot what—like two thousand dollars a month for the financial services, uh, information, to, access to information about financial yeah. services. So their customers were like investment banks and private equity firms and stuff like that. But they were getting, you know, nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand of their visitors per month were being unmonetized. Yeah. So my role was to figure out how we're going to serve that audience something of value that we can monetize. Yeah.
0: And that's what I did. And what did you learn? I mean, you were at the tail end of the story. What did you learn from your time there? I learned, I guess maybe
1: in hindsight, what I learned was there's, there's a few people who have very, uh, powerful opinions in these organizations. And as you scale and grow you need different skill sets to join the organization that are that are allowing more, you know, operationally sound ways of running a business. And you can't do both. You can't be ultra creative and visionary and be running a tight ship all in one. So those are different people. And based on what a a company needs to get done, you kind of have to favor one or the other. So that company was at its at the end of its creativity cycle Mm. and in the how do we cement this business and drive revenue and profit margin which wasn't the most exciting place but it was obviously a cool experience to see Mm. that that transformation Mm. it's like the necessary uh,
0: evil of yeah growing up or growing up yeah and what is that experience like for you going through an exit
1: I mean, it wasn't really... I wasn't too involved in that. Yeah. It was kind of just like... It just happened. It just happened. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even... It's not like I was c- consulted on it or something. It was no one like, asked you. <laughs> no opinion. one asked my opinion. Hey, Rami, what do you think yeah. about uh, a slang to you? Yeah. Good old Thomson Reuters. So I found out, like, after it was, like, in the news, basically. On oh, Zawiyah's uh, website. Yeah, so I was like, okay, well, what happens now, basically? Yeah. Uh, so, so what did you do? So the the... The team that founded Zawio, <coughs> one of them who became my mentor, and he's, he remains my mentor. Uh, so he was like, look, we're going we're gonna to do this again. We're going to set up a lab and do some more startups, and we'll raise a little bit of capital. And it was one of the first venture builders or yeah. startup labs the Middle East had ever seen. This it was, may have
0: been the first, actually.
1: It probably was, yeah. Yeah. And it's an open canvas, and we didn't really have a formula. It was kind of like, okay, what do we think is a good idea and worth pursuing? And someone's going to take the lead on that and get it on its feet, and then we'll do that again and again and again. I mean, I guess that part of it is typical, but for us, we didn't have a blueprint to follow. It was just what we thought made sense. So I played a role in there as kind of like helping with marketing, helping with some strategy. I became closer to the uh, decision-making side of things. And then I earned some trust there. So ultimately, like we had reached a place where what one of the projects wasn't working as we had hoped. Like the value prop wasn't. Yeah powerful enough to like get the impact that we we thought it would. So we needed to shift strategy. So, you know, I presented a, a transformation to how it was going to be run and they're like, you know what, that's actually a good idea. And they, and they took that, you know, uh, suggestion and, and ran with it and we ran with it. And, uh, from that, that started to build my confidence. Like, okay, you know what, I can make good judgment calls from time to time. And, um, Again, that just gave you more of the, like, taste. Like, you you could do this. Like, you can run a show. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, then finally, in 2013, I came up with this uh, concept. It was an idea yeah. called Friendshipper. We called it Friendshipper. And it was a awesome idea. It was actually a pretty good idea, I am not lie. Freaking genius. Yeah. And... The media loved it. It was basically, if you're traveling, uh, you always have those people on
0: Facebook that are like, hey, if,
1: is anyone coming from Cairo? Is anyone going to, oh man,
0: I need so and so. I need to send a package that you can't open and ask any questions right. about and just trust that. So we, we made an app out of it.
1: And the media loved it and we were covered by The Economist magazine and it was gonna change the world and very disruptive and super exciting stuff and we had, Lots of downloads and all that stuff. But what we didn't have was a business model. And it Somewhat important. <laughs> yeah. So there was like, we'll figure it out later sort of thing. We're like, okay. Did you guys
0: get traction?
1: We got traction in the sense of lots of demand. So there was always demand for people like requesting stuff that they wanted delivered. But this, the supply. The people who were willing to <laughs> Yeah, there carry was a supply gap. Th- yeah. Yeah. You did not have enough mules. Yeah. Fair. So we're like, I don't think this is gonna work. How long did you do that for? That was about a year and a half. Okay. And we raised just a little bit of, it wasn't like a capital intensive project. Mm. It was enough to pay a couple people some small salaries and try this out. And we had people who believed in us and were willing to back that. And then when when I saw that it wasn't working, working, I was like, look, what am I gonna do? Just dry the well and use all the, like why don't I just, stop this again (laughs) and I'll I'll work again like in a a regular gig and MEVP had just launched its uh Dubai office They're like look we need a person to interface with the uh with the all the companies that want to come pitch and do some sort of filtering and we trust you kind of seem to know what you're doing uh we'll give it we'll give you a shot And I was like, okay, cool. These guys are going to pay me to basically stay working in this
0: space that you've come to love at this point. And, uh,
1: then everything kind of became like a waterfall. Like every day you're meeting new entrepreneurs, new ideas. You're going through like six, 700 pitches a year. Yeah. And you, I'm now on the other side of the table, like. I was, I was that guy who was like pitching the idea and trying to do this and trying to convince the investor that this is a good idea. And now I'm acting as the, like it was a bit like I felt like a fraud, like a phony. Yeah. But it was a good learning experience. Why'd you feel like a phony? Because I didn't feel like I was in a position to oh, judge. It was like imposter syndrome. Yeah, it was like, impo- like. Yeah. I, I really empathized with the, invest- with the uh, entrepreneurs coming yeah. in. And if I saw a gap, like over time, I'd be like, oh, you know what? This entrepreneur is really good. Like they really thought about the business model. Oh, these guys are really good with product. Oh, these guys are really good with this. But you would always also see the gaps. Mm. And after a year or so of doing that, you kind of like hone your skills and you're like, oh, I think I get it now. Mm. I think I I understand more to this. I, I saw it more holistically. It wasn't just about having a good idea. Mm. it was really about thinking through all the seeing around the corners understanding all the the things you need to run a successful startup the team the timing the the funding the the business all of that
0: yeah it's it's crazy because i feel like for a startup to succeed almost everything needs to align perfectly like even if i think about the team you can't have really strong, you get to a scale, you know, post, let's call it series A or B, where you can't just have like a really good product team and have a shit HR team. Yeah. Or have a really good marketing team and a really shit sales team. Like every single function has to be at least a B, B plus. In the early days,
1: if your sales team is very good, you can
0: look like you know what you're doing. Yeah. Which is what happened with Bayzat. I mean our product engineering team it was a sales of that organization for the first two, three years and we started to plateau, right? Because we kinda had product market fit, but in reality maybe not, because we just had a really good sales engine. Um, and that's why I'm saying I think you get to a certain stage where you can't hide any more weaknesses in the business. Right. In the early days, you can get by. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's big of you to acknowledge that because that's usually the key to impressing. And in, like investors really don't know if your tech is good or not, or if your product is good, but they can read numbers. Yeah, and if your growth looks good, then must be good. Yeah, right. And you can kind of get away with temporary uh, simulation of. Uh, everything being fine, because your sales are 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 in good shape, but that's just going to come back and haunt you if your product can't do the heavy lifting later or do what it 100%. represents what it's supposed to. So for the fact you guys acknowledge that and then in the background actually uh, scramble to fix it, fix that, yeah. and did it in, in a timely fashion that's a uh, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of comp- uh, a lot of investors confuse go-to-market fit and product-market fit and um, going back to my earlier point both have to be on point truly. really and then there's there's those two engines and there's the internal talent engine mm-hmm. and those three engines just need to be firing on all cylinders and it sounds like that's kind of what you saw or picked up from your right. time at uh, MEVP
1: yeah and also what I picked up was there's not many good opportunities for an investor mm. like at, at that time. Yeah. And it's probably changed. I mean, it's obviously changed now. Yeah. But this is what, like 2012, 2012. Okay. Yeah. A lot of 2012, 2013. Yeah. So it was still very thin. Like that, that time was still, you didn't have the X, DIFC crowd. You didn't have the ex-engineers and it wasn't management. sexy yet to be in a startup, right? And it was still like, oh my god, that's so cute that you were doing a startup. Right. Yeah. It wasn't taken seriously yet, so it, the talent pool was even was was quite dry. Yeah, and so you had these kind of like unemployable people, yeah, who wanted to set up a business, and they thought the business, all I need is capital, and all. F- kind figure of it uh, out. figure it out we're like no i you mean you still
0: have that today <laughs> yeah i guess that
1: hasn't changed but um so i was like okay this is a this isn't the most dense arena for me as an for, as an investor now mm. like and you'd always see these gaps like oh if these guys just did that it would be so. like you'd be thinking that in your head mm. oh why did they take that decision if they did mm. did it this way it would and then eventually but
0: h- how did you have the conviction Or The ability to make those calls When you hadn't necessarily Done it myself Yeah
1: Yeah it was just like It's just instinct Okay you So you know, just started developing an instinct From the, the different conversations and Goes back to the false confidence thing yeah. Right Like I I have enough
0: So fake it till you make it Type of thing Yeah or? but
1: this was now It's even worse Because it's internalized Like okay. I'm just faking it to myself That I know what I'm doing Yeah Right so oh, I think this would work better, or that, or oh, if only they considered whatever. And I was like, why am I doing this? If I think I'm so smart and capable, I should put my money where my mouth is and I should do a startup again, right? And it, it felt more comfortable to be on the other side. So then I, I left that, took my you know pseudo de- new degree with me yeah.
0: and uh, gave it one more go. I guess when you look back before we talk about going on to Found Booney, when you look back at your time at MEVP you know what were some of the biggest what were the common misconceptions entrepreneurs had uh, what were the common flaws gaps you saw during your time there a couple things
1: one it was either mistimed like you're asking for money at the wrong time like you, you need to either prove something first you need to have some give us something some evidence. <laughs> something besides a powerpoint yeah like can you go beyond and, but I think the thing that bothered me the most was was always like back to the you know I need the cap if I get the capital then I can Do ABC. Well, if you're a real entrepreneur, you're going to hustle your way through getting to something. You're going to make something out of nothing first, and then we can put you on, you know, rocket boosters. But it's always like, you know, the woe is me and I have this great idea. If you could just give me capital, then I could hire the team, then I could attract the talent, then I could. And you have nothing and people latch onto their ideas too tightly. And they think the idea is what's valuable. Whereas what's valuable is your ability to execute, even on a small micro scale, demonstrate some level of that. And
0: that was always the main problem I saw, or I felt. No, I think it's a really, really good point. I think um, a true entrepreneur is always going to be resilient. And just like you said, find a way to make something out of nothing. And there's this like misconception that all the stars need to align before I can start. Before I can start, or even in the business, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, sometimes we'd hire people who've kind of come from a corporate environment. They'll come in and be like, well, this is broken, and this is broken, and this is broken. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) correct. That's right. Yeah. But only one of those things really matters. Everything else is just a little skin rash that's not going to grow and so just fucking deal with it okay. and let's build um, and so you're right I think it's a really good point and uh, so now you're like okay I'm not a I'm not really an so investor I'm so more one of an m- entrepreneur
1: one of my colleagues you know a guy who I really cherish at MEVP who was yeah. also an implant like me? Like he wasn't really. He was more of an entrepreneur turned yeah. temporary investor. It was me and him in the office often, and like, oh, we got to do something, man. You know, it was like the, got to get out of here, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we would kind of provoke each other. We give it one more month, and we'll, you know, we'll be out of here. Or were you guys like coming up with random ideas? Up with the worst ideas,
0: okay, and
1: then. I guess there was like a bit of a spark, you know, and, uh, that happened when my wife told me she was going to start her business, start a business, quote unquote. And I'm wondering what is she talking about? Cause she wasn't the most entrepreneurial, yeah. but you know, so I was kind of intrigued and excited. Like, what are you going to do? Like, well, you know, my friend Heda in Lebanon started this business selling hats. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) She's like, yeah, she sells these hats. They're beach hats. And they have a custom embroidered, you know, message you can add to the hat for like to customize it. Like, okay, what are you talking? Like, this was like a Twilight Zone. Like, are you serious? She's like, yeah, I'm going to partner with her and I'm going to I'm going to be like kind of like her agent in Dubai, her Dubai office. I'm going to be the Dubai branch. Yeah. I'm like, OK, cool. And I want to be supportive and I want to not. And I, I was in the investor mode. So I'm like, are you Show sure? Show me your cash flow. <laughs> yeah, online. I was like, do you? What's you your gonna, IRR? Exactly. And I was asking like all these hard hitting questions. And she's like, dude, just relax. OK, yeah, just I'm, be my husband. Yeah, too. just I'm just going to put them on Instagram. And if people want to buy them, they message us. Yeah and I was like do you need an I could let me be helpful somehow do you need an e-commerce website with that and she's like I don't think so sounds too complicated right now (laughs) why don't we just use the social media we'll use Instagram so our I'm watching now like this manifest in front of me and she starts selling these hats and if you dig a little bit closer her WhatsApp is just filled with these like Random sales inquiries. Sales inquiries. Yeah. And there's, it's it's funny because she would try and be uh, organized about it. So she would be like, hat client number one. Hat client number So she'd tell her WhatsApp into like a CRM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then she'd have to remember who ordered what hat and what did she have in stock and then coordinate with Hada when they're going to get shipped from Lebanon and then how they're going to get to the end customer. And I, it was just like this aha moment in my head. I was like, Oh my God, this world of messaging is converging with the world of commerce. Mm. That's interesting. And WhatsApp has, you know, propagated to the point where it's being used as a B to C. Mind you, this is 2016. Yeah. I was like, This is so fascinating. Like this, WhatsApp has caused a ripple effect. And one of the things it's created on its, you know, outward impact is like, uh, commerce. Mm. No one was talking about it. It was like this, just me and my, and so me and my colleagues started talking about this. I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting if there was like a CRM for WhatsApp? So like, yeah, it's not a bad idea actually. So the two of us, I called, uh, another friend of mine who was in California. He was working at Facebook like product manager on yeah. Facebook. I was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? You realize that there's people going on Instagram selling stuff and then using WhatsApp and there's like this pseudo integration you know between these two things. Yeah. There, there's a relationship here. What are you guys doing about that?" He's like, "What are you talking about?"
0: Cuz it's it, I would ima- I mean it fe- feels like a huge Emerging market type of use case because I think till now a lot of people don't even use whatsapp in the u.s. They use iMessage and But whatsapp like blew up here. Yes yeah. So for me, it was obvious. Yeah, it's like oh, this is gonna be big We got to get into this now. Yeah, but to be fair. I mean You're saying it's obvious. I don't think it was obvious and so um you seem to have this knack for like saying things ahead of time.
1: I mean, that's what it is, right? Like yeah. you're not going to be right. And that's where timing plays such a, like it was almost too early. Okay. Right. And that, that's probably the, now looking back, like I think it was quite early. So the way we went about doing it was talk to my friend from Facebook he does some digging around, figures out that Facebook isn't, these are all Facebook, you know, properties yeah. and new activity and like a new economy being formed out of like this, their ecosystem. They must know about it. They must be doing something about it. Who's little old me to like do something before they can get their hands on Uh So he kind of validated like there was no action taking place on that and there was yeah. like way off the radar. Yeah. But that wasn't good enough and we, we st- still thought like, isn't WhatsApp just going to eventually like crush everything and Facebook is never going to allow such a thing? Like, how far could we get with this before we get squ- Found out. squashed? Yeah. So we assembled a pitch deck. Yeah. And uh, speaking of
0: pitch decks, yeah. 99% of them completely suck. Yeah, you saw quite a few in your... Yeah. And so, what's w- what's sucked about pitch decks? Just
1: way too many data points on one page, and like I don't even know what I'm reading. And yeah, you know, the advice I I gotten that I give now is just have one message to get across per slide. Yeah. And if you can do that, that's like that's hard enough to do. Yeah. Just try and do one message per slide, and keep it simple, and uh, get you know your ten messages across, and you're done.
0: Yeah. What's what's a good flow of a pitch deck? I mean the
1: conventional wisdom is start with the problem, start, you know, talk about the solution, talk about the market size, talk about this and that. But I, the way I built that first pitch deck mm-hmm. was I took screenshots of my wife's WhatsApp conversations. Yeah. And I literally like took circles and said, these are the pains that people are experiencing. Yeah. And then we presented our solution. Yeah. So it's like you can see problem firsthand. So I I don't know if I've shared this with anyone or this has never been brought up, but like, you know, when we had that pitch deck, we decided this is probably a big global thing we're we're looking at and we're kind of scared of what WhatsApp's going to do. I don't know anyone at WhatsApp because there's like seven people that work at that company.
0: (laughs) And they sold for yeah. a bucks. Yeah.
1: But they had just exited. I think they had just exited. Anyway, uh, Sequoia was like their main backer. Mm. So I sent a cold email to Sequoia. And it was like, hey, this is what we're doing. Can, uh, if, are you guys interested in, in meeting? And they said, yes, we are. Come on down. And you
0: probably like... Flipped your shit.
1: Like, yeah. Are we were freaking out. Yeah. Oh my God, what are we going to do? And uh, so they invited us to like this black site location, which is like in San Francisco, but not on the grid. Like it's never going to be on Google maps. And then it's like, you have to enter this brick building that's nondescript. And it has like, it looks like a, a abandoned warehouse on the first floor. And you go through the side door and you go up two floors and then you
0: enter through this. literally like a CIA black ops site you think that's where they get all the Arab and immigrant entrepreneurs (laughs) to meet (laughs) yeah that's where they're gonna torture us (laughs) so
1: we get there and you walk in and it's like this beautiful place and it's all like whatever mahogany and stuff and we present and they're very courteous Mm. and they're very attentive and they never interrupted once or said anything like like they were so respectful yeah and it was like we're halfway through the pitch and it was like, hold on a second. And they'd like bring in a colleague. Yeah. It was like that. And we're like, is this going well? <laughs> like <didn't> if, <laughs> what is this feedback? Yeah. And they're like, look, we like this. Yeah. We like it a lot and you're onto something big and just uh, get back out there and go do it. We could give you capital potentially now, but I'm not sure if you want it. Cause you're so early. Like if we wrote you a check, and we we didn't think you had enough traction in a year from now and we didn't follow up your company would be dead yeah it's a kiss of death yeah. so we advise you to go get as much traction as you can and then come back when you want a sizable check yeah but we're going to fo- be following you along the way
0: yeah
1: and in the background that's what, what they were doing yeah. right like it would be like every 2 months they're checking in on us yeah and we're doing this now we're doing that now and we we had
0: this that's crazy.
1: Yeah. And that's why when I'd walk into investors' offices here in Dubai who obviously had no they'd be like, "Come on guys, WhatsApp yeah. is going to crush you." Guys. And it was yeah. like, "No, actually the people who invested in WhatsApp, who know it better than any of us yeah. do, they're the ones who are who
0: are happy to see us doing this." Yeah. How important was that for you that meeting in terms of giving you the conviction that you were because going back to my earlier point you have this habit of seeing things early it was a moment of like i
1: need to really listen to myself and if i really believe something i got to have the 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 courage to like act on it and not care what anyone else thinks in terms of id like ideating mm. right i don't need someone's opinion that this is not a good idea or find holes or So it just gave us so much more momentum and confidence, and removed all those like doubts in the back of your head.
0: And And how how do you balance that with when you talk to people, actually incorporating feedback that's valid?
1: Yeah. So the I guess difficulty is exactly what you're you're asking now. Is like you got to know what you where your boundaries are, in terms of your understanding of things. And instead of always making leaps and trying to, sometimes what the beauty of being a founder or a co-founder is in collecting information, synthesizing it, being objective, and then coming back with it, you know. I always prod when I'm trying to, even if to validate an idea, or if I'm not sure about something, I don't not get feedback. Mm. I, I'm always getting like I'm always on WhatsApp with some yeah. one of our investors, just like to what do you think about this? Suss it out. And I just want to see how you're gonna react. And every once in a while I get something unexpected. Yeah. And I'm like, oh awesome. Yeah. You know, and how do we incorporate that? So you, so
0: you're you you're actively looking for All input the time. and All feedback. The time. And then you're filtering through what you're going to take and what you're not going to take. And how do you do that in a way where you're just not like, oh my God, dude, you're such an idiot that you are thinking of these objections for something that's so good?
1: Well, that's the natural instinct, right? Yeah. Most people will immediately tell you why why whatever you're thinking is not a good idea.
0: Yeah. The human mind is programmed for... Loss aversion versus upside. Right. And
1: so you kind of ignore that after a while. But then it's still your duty to overcome it. And it, I need to be able to convince this person that it is mm. my, you know, it is a good idea. In And if you don't have the data to show it, you have to show your enthusiasm. And sometimes they'll just give up and be like, okay fine you're right yeah (laughs) you know and that's how a lot of investment takes place as well right like when someone is just so crazy about some (coughs) some approach to doing something it's like okay I don't know but you you see I I can tell I'm not gonna convince you out of it yeah yeah exactly and that's a good thing because if you're gonna be this gung-ho about it then I feel more comfortable giving you capital to, to work with
0: yeah Yeah, and it's it's also, I can imagine, from the investor side, it's a weird balance to try to navigate in the context of an entrepreneur has to be somewhat stubborn because if anyone knew how hard it was going to be, I think very few people would do it.
1: It, I think about that all the time, like... I remember just the act of setting up a company, yeah getting an office, setting up Dwa, like these super basic things, doing them in a, like a quick, speedy process was was so challenging. Mm. I remember trying to it was like we have to submit the landlords whatever before four o'clock because Dwa's office is going to close and if it closes, we have to wait till next week. And we can't do the ijadi If we don't do Ijadi, then we can't get internet. If we can't get internet, then we can't. You know, it was like that. And I remember doing like a relay race in El Cruz Like I called one of my colleagues who had to meet me with this document. And now i think back and I'm like, like where did we get the energy to do all that? Other like, patients. could I do that again? Yeah. Would I be able to pick up again and do do that? I'm like, I must have been crazy. Like now I can't imagine doing it that all over again. At least at this moment I can't. Yeah. Like what was what was I thinking?
0: Yeah. So you have Sequoia saying you're on something big and then you have all these investors in this part of the world saying You're not onto anything. Yeah. You're basically just trying to beat what's up.
1: Yeah. And what I think it was that was part of it and the other part of it was like we had never really seen it was first of all you only had like a handful of exits up until just a couple of years ago like could count them on one hand so there was like very little empirical evidence to suggest that anything was going to be successful mm. or present a, uh, like any IRR to the investor so that was it was all super speculative uh, so they really just wanted to make bets on, and it kind of remains that way they want to make bets on things they've seen work elsewhere and then we're going to Mimic that in the Middle East
0: mm.
1: you know what I mean it's like that would be so much easier because I can, it takes the guesswork out for me like company X did it in the US or Europe yeah so if we can just emulate that, there's a blueprint there's a formula the known econo- there's a comp that's what that's what's easy to invest in yeah what's not easy is whoa whoa you guys are claiming that you have a new technology. Solving a problem that hasn't been solved before that's way too far-fetched for us mm. right like very few investors would even touch that yeah unfortunately yeah. because they didn't see the Middle East as a net exporter of technology or mm. innovation. Mm. It was always like we need to import and uh, we were trying to break that mold a little bit. Mm.
0: So what happens next? You guys start building. We start building, and uh, does your wife end up using your technology stock? I think she like gave up on her hat
1: business before we even built V one of the product. Okay, fair. So, a uh, couple things happened. One is, you know, we had all quit our jobs and started this thing, and we raised enough seed capital. So there was there was the basically bringing out. I went back to the Friendship or Investors because we still had some capital. we like, look, mm. I can give you back 30 cents on the dollar. Mm. Or
0: I can roll it in. I can roll you over here. Yeah.
1: And they're like, just roll us over, dude. Yeah. Like, We kind of wrote this off anyway. It's not. <laughs> we a big forgot deal. that money was <laughs> out there. <laughs> you know? So just roll us over. I'm like, okay, cool. You're in. So we did that. We built V1 of the product. It was over-engineered. It was kind of like trying to do 20 things, inventory management, mm. and full CRM, and tracking, and, oh, when you press this widget, like, this happens, and, you know, it was like, we overcooked it, Yeah. and, but we we didn't know, like, we didn't know enough to know what the idea, that's the, uh, that's the other side of trying to write your own playbook, Yeah. which is, you can't copy-paste, you can't copy-paste, yeah. and so you have to take some guesses here and there. And not all the, some of those guesses were, you know, well-founded, but some of them were not.
0: Yeah, and I think it's especially challenging back then because, you know, the seed round, you know, the seed round at that stage is like also the Series A back in that time, right? Like what people get in seed capital now gives them enough runway to try to figure yeah, out yeah. is this... I have more runway to figure out if these different things are going to pan out.
1: Right. Yeah, it was a different environment. Yeah. Changed so rapidly. Um, But luckily, I had two co-founders who I consider, you know, now now I cherish them even more than I Mm -hmm. did at that time, which is, you know, if you're in a startup right now and you have a co-founder who you can depend on and who's fighting with you, you may not value them as much as you should today, but you will later.
0: 100%. I know it wasn't a smooth sailing ride for you guys at the beginning. You know, you mentioned maybe you were a bit early. Um, so I can only imagine there were kind of difficult stretches along the way. There remains difficult stretches, yeah.
1: right? And that, I don't think that ever goes away. Like mm. you always have this panic or paranoia like, you're gonna screw something up and mm. everything's gonna fall apart. Mm. And there were many times it was close to that. And you have to expect that. Like, you never, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I've, I have never reached a place where I'm like, okay, things are super smooth. I'm yeah. gonna go on holiday and check in with you. It's always like, you wake up and you're like, okay, what fire am I gonna put out today? Mm. You, you're just on guard. Mm. Right, you're expecting some phone call that's gonna be bad. Yeah. You're expecting this. You're expecting this problem from here or whatever. So that's your new normal. Mm. So we suffered a lot in the early days because we didn't have as much traction as we thought, and that's because our product wasn't focused yet enough. Like it wasn't. You hadn't t- found product market fit. Not yet. Yeah. But we had enough. Uh, Let's say resonance with some customers, and we had enough usage that we're like, "There's something here."
0: Mm-hmm. So there was. You guys were flirting with product, product market fit,
1: and then it was in 2018 where we actually properly hit product market fit mm. because we tapered the product so down so it would only hyper focus on solving one problem mm. very well. That's when things really started to work. Yeah. And we're like, "Oh, okay, that's." look how much we're growing this month and that month and that, you know, it's this, this was working and our sales started working and everything started Mm, clicking, clicking, Mm. but it wasn't until March, 2020 COVID lockdown where we saw the like super uplift Mm. like that tailwind for us was huge. And it was like the work we had been preparing for the previous two years, Operations and admin, and all the heavy lifting you do that you don't get credit for. All of a sudden, when we have a surge of, we just doubled our customer count in one week. We were prepared for that. Like, it paid off. Mm-hmm. Like some of the infrastructure we had built. Yeah. Uh, and then you get into a mode, a different mode. Mm. And. You know, some of these bigger companies out there, they suffer from like, like the answer back to that WhatsApp, why wouldn't WhatsApp do it themselves? Or why doesn't whatever do it themselves? It's because they have more to lose than to gain often. Mm. Like think about Instagram, like if they change their icon, it sends shockwaves. Like people are like, yeah. oh my God, should we keep using it? If they move a button, if they do, like any small thing yeah. when you're at the top, you have more to lose than to gain.
0: Yeah, and, and just driving that change is super, super difficult. Like, it's steering, it's the difference between s- steering a, a dinghy boat and... An oil tanker. An oil tanker, right? So
1: they, they're not nimble, yeah. and then they don't want to take risks. Yeah. Why should they? Why would WhatsApp, who is the top uh, downloaded app for like whatever, like five years mm-hmm. running, who who's... Surpassing a billion users, why do they need to get into like new categories? Why yeah. are they in a rush to Fair. do anything? Fair. Like let's just hit maximum velocity, take a breath, and then see where the low-hanging fruit is. Yeah. So we found ourselves almost in a similar, predi- like in a, I mean, a, a thousandth smaller scale, yeah, but yeah. like, hey, this product feature we did works really well. Mm. Should we take a chance and do this other stuff? Like yeah but what if we screw up the core thing Mm. so then you start to force yourself into like okay now we do layer two do layer three and you have to do those so i would say we had like two years of um just staying afloat Mm. not not thriving Mm. before getting traction
0: yeah and what was kind of a a difficult moment during that period that kind of comes to mind I mean we had
1: we've had instances which are like operating a company here is the banking the banking systems here yeah tend to be very cautious mm. like more so than anywhere else in the world I mean you know that mm. so i remember once we had a merchant in lebanon who was doing sales on our platform. And the way it works is like, we have to transfer them money from our bank account to theirs. So we get this like notice that we've been blocked by our own bank. Mm. And it was like some OFAC uh, investigation on the back of it, which is like terror finance. Yeah. We're like, Oh my God, (laughs) like we we can't even do, we can't use our bank. Yeah. Like, no, you're locked out, but only of online banking. Yeah, Your physical branch is still accessible to you, and you can still write checks and do all that, but online banking is, is you're done. Yeah. Like, well, how does that work? How do we pay our entire merchant base? Yeah. And wh- what's the problem? Why did you block our account? Oh, well, the person you wired money to seems to have a, a name match mm. with whatever. Because there's only like one Muhammad. Muhammad, <laughs> right. all of them released. And so it was about, I had to go write letters to Washington, D.C. and OFAC and prove this and provide that and da da da. And for three months, three or four months, we didn't have a bank account. Oh, wow. In a fully functioning business that has to pay its customers. So, do you know what that looked like? That was me and a co founder writing checks, depositing them in ATM machines on behalf of our customers all around. So it was like, we can now tell you where. All, if you want to know where the ATM machines for any given bank are. You know, you know the Just way. ask me. <laughs> and we did this without even customers knowing. Yeah. Right? They didn't feel the impact of it.
0: And that goes back to what you were talking about in terms of you have to have that hustler's mindset as an entrepreneur. You just have to find a way. Yeah. Um, I want a final thought around... Uh, how important timing is because you've kind of alluded to friendship or or timing maybe. There was no time for that. Okay, well that will remain to be seen. Um, Zbuni, you talked about timing so how, how do you think what do you mean when you say timing is everything and then how do you time things in the right way?
1: I mean I think it has to do with people's Collective, like the collective conscious of people, needs to be, to th- to know that this is something in need. Like you're always going to have whatever product you do, some early adopters, yeah. and then that phase from early adopters to like mass adoption. Mm. Is that going to take six months or six years? Mm. Right. Mm. So I think you need the your pain point to be pronounced enough to a, a big enough group of people, without a, any solutions or not enough solutions being available to provide it that's what i mean by timing mm. so that's a very fragile window right like if we started a cloud kitchen today it would be severely disadvantaged probably yeah but what if we had started one you know 2 years ago yeah it would be perfect yeah. you, know,
0: like, you know how the time it, yeah. so can you time things in the right way
1: if you it's probably you're probably better off doing something earlier than than too late because too late is harder to recover. Mm. Like you have more incumbents that you're supposed to you now you have to outmaneuver. Mm. If you if you'd rather be too early but super cost conscious. So mm. you don't overspend and you, you get a chance to I mean the the bell curve for this is like either way you can get screwed yeah but if your instinct tells you to go for something just go for it yeah because how many times have you heard that how many times have you heard someone like oh i had that idea I had
0: that idea you yeah. Know. yeah ideas are free right um rami i heard you say a couple of things that really stuck with me i think uh one is kind of wisdom from your dad uh, if you want to be happy be your own boss uh, that definitely resonates with me a lot um, you said something around if you're going to be an entrepreneur you're going to have to make something out of nothing first before you try to go build some, build and scale your business um, I like a lot how you talked about having to listen to yourself and having the courage to execute it despite what others were telling you um, and lastly this whole idea of you know, it's better to be early than than be late. Um, but if you're early, be cost conscious. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of fun uh, talking to you. It's, uh, it's nice to see uh, a childhood friend uh, have the battle scars uh, to tell such an amazing story. Uh, I know there's a lot we didn't cover, but I just want to say, you know, I'm proud of you, dude.
1: Yeah, likewise, man. I appreciate you having me here. When you started the podcast, I was like, In the back of my head, I was like, is Target going to invite me one day? (laughs) Then you did. And I was like, this, this is awesome. So I'm proud of you, too. Thanks a
0: lot, amigo.